0: Long before the foundation of the world, O Lord, you saw us and knew us, and you have adopted us into your family by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have saved us by your amazing grace. Open our eyes to see your word, to listen, and to know you. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace and peace to you. When you think about a portrait, a picture you would hang on your wall that would signify to you God's blessing, what would it look like? Let's say we put a person there, a person you know who's been blessed by God, what would that person look like? Let's say we put up some portraits of God's blessings around our church. What do you imagine them looking like? Does it look like a child with Down syndrome playing on the playground? Does it look like a grandma with dementia living in a nursing home? Does it look like a man with muscular dystrophy trapped in a wheelchair. It depends on what you are looking for. This is the third text in a row where Jesus has been trying to teach the people to stop looking outwardly and start searching inwardly, to look beyond outward appearances, to not judge on the basis of opinion or feeling or personality or appearance and instead judge with his judgment, righteousness. Most of the people in Jesus' day were not seeing God's blessings because they were looking for the wrong thing. They were taught that in that picture frame, you should have a Christian who's in good health. You should have a believer who's got a stable income. You should have an elderly man who has a prominent position in society. Like so many of us, in the pictures of God's blessing, we're not picturing a child who's born with a disability. A blind child. And we're certainly not picturing what comes up in our text. A man who's been spit on and had mud smeared all over his face. The disciples see this beggar sitting at the gate, day after day throughout the time that they're in Jerusalem at the festival. A man who's sitting there with nothing to offer, not like the beggars we know in America, a real beggar. The beggars you see in India or Nepal, who cannot make a living, who don't have a source of social, a social safety net to take care of them. They're begging for their life. His eyes are slit and pale and they know this man because he's been this way his whole life. The disciples ask the obvious question. Why? The question that they ask is as old as sin. It's the question we find in the very earliest writing we know of that's in the Bible, the story of Job. For 40-some chapters, you have this question of why. Job wrestling with God and the devil. Job asking questions, debating, dialoguing, reasoning, talking with his friends, getting their opinions. And in the end, what does he find out? Why? The disciples put it this way Was it this man's sin who sinned, or his parents, so that he was born blind? It wasn't actually the disciples, however, that saw the man first. Who was the first person to see this man in our text? Either you had to be listening very carefully or you have to open up your Bibles to notice that the very first verse said, Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him when no one else saw him. Jesus saw the man for what he really was. Not just a blind beggar, but he saw the man through and through. Just as Jesus sees Job through and through. Just as Jesus sees every one of you through and through. He doesn't just see your outward appearance. He doesn't see what you see when you wake up in the morning and you look at the mirror. He sees so much more. Every disability becomes for Jesus a rehabilitation an opportunity every suffering becomes a catalyst for salvation every picture of something that the world would say is bad becomes a portrait for god's grace a while back my family and i were visiting richland library and we went into richland library and they had this exhibit on display a bunch of photographs black and white and every one of the photographs was of a child, maybe from the age of a baby up to a teenager, with some kind of disability. It was a program put on by Family Connections, and Family Connections is an organization in Colombia which helps those with special needs. There was a picture of a toddler with, leaning on crutches, a boy in a wheelchair with muscular dystrophy, a baby with Down syndrome. One of the moms that was interviewed about these portraits said that this way, I wish the world could really see my child and not just their disability. Jesus sees the blind man. He sees each of you individually Not for what you look like on the outside, not for how healthy you are or how stable your life is or how prominent you have a position at your career and employment. But he sees humans, sinners in need of his help and salvation. And when God reveals these things to us, when he opens the eyes of your heart to see what God sees, you realize it's messy. It's a muddy mess. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he rubbed the mud in the man's eyes. Some translations try to tone this down a notch, but imagine what's being said here. You know, Jesus doesn't need mud. He doesn't need to send the man to a pool. Jesus doesn't need anything other than to just say the word. How many times did he heal the blind simply by saying, go in peace? Pay attention to what's going on. It was nearly a half a mile walk from the temple to the pool that Jesus sends the man to. So you have to imagine then a blind man, not just a blind man, but a blind man who has this muddy mess on his face, trying to make it a half mile through the crowded streets of Jerusalem during a festival. There he is wandering, bumping around, tapping his cane, trying to make his way through all those people. And what do they see? Something very strange and unusual and messy. Nothing is meaningless when Jesus does a miracle. In fact, nothing is meaningless in all of Scripture. When you read the Scriptures, every detail means something. Every detail is put in there by the Holy Spirit to show us something to shape and direct our minds to what jesus is doing why does he do some things that seem so strange to us in verse 16 it says how can a man who is a sinner do such signs this healing is one of the signs you have in the book of john it's the fifth sign out of seven signs that jesus is doing as we walk along the journey with him and a sign always means it's signifying something it's not about the mud it's not about even about the eyes physically seeing it's a sign because it signifies something greater the theme for john when we started this whole thing way back in december was a personal word from god john is trying to portray jesus as a personal word for god What could get more personal than Jesus spitting, rubbing that spit in the ground, and smearing mud on your face? I remember talking with some people who came to the Ash Wednesday ashes service, which was the morning of Ash Wednesday, and every one of them seemed to have a similar feeling. They said, I don't know why, but it was a little bit uncomfortable. And it was for me too. I think one of the reasons it was uncomfortable is when somebody gets up face to face with you and they touch your skin, that's personal. There's very few people in the world that we would let into that personal space, our kids, our parents, our spouse. And here is Jesus with his spit and dirt, rubbing mud in your face. This is a personal word from God. But just because it's personal does not mean it's pretty. It might be yucky. The gospel is personal, but not always pretty. While you see a man with mud smeared on his face, the gospel is teaching you to see beyond that, to see the creator of heaven and earth stooping down into his creation, reaching into the same dirt that he reached into when he created Adam. The creator of heaven and earth reaching into that, touching our human bodies, which are ashes to ashes and dust to dust and using the created earth and his own spin in order to heal this man. He's showing that Jesus is the very creator on the Sabbath, a time when the creation was supposed to rest Realizing nobody's at rest. This creation is not resting. And Jesus has come to bring it rest on the Sabbath by healing this man. And so you have to ask yourself, how personal are you willing to allow Jesus to be with you? How personal are you willing to let the church, the fellowship of your believers around you, be with your space? How messy are you willing to admit it is when we get into each other's personal space? Now, I'm not coming down here as your pastor to spit and rub my spit in your face. It's about what it signifies. Letting God deal with the messiness of this Fallen creation, which is supposed to be at rest on the Sabbath, but is not because this man is begging. Begging for some coins from some passerby so he can go home and eat bread tonight. The news of this event has reached the Pharisees. Now, some of the Pharisees have already made up their minds about Jesus, but some have not. Some are decidedly convinced he is a sinner because he breaks the Sabbath. It particularly noted that the making of the mud and the clay was done on the Sabbath, the working. Jesus himself says, I have to work the works of God while it is day because night is coming. Day means that Jesus is with us. Day means that he is with us and now is the time. Before night comes when we cannot find Jesus, Now is the time when the light is shining. But they don't see it because they're blind. So they ask the parents. They ask them to testify and they verify that it is the son. But even the parents aren't willing to go far enough to say who Jesus really is because they're afraid. You see, the church has put up a warning sign that if anybody follows this rabbi, If anybody confesses that he is the Messiah, they're going to be kicked out. Now, if you get excommunicated from a church, or if you simply get forced to leave, or you simply leave on your own, you know you can walk down to another denomination, another church body, who doesn't know anything about your past history, doesn't know anything about your church, and they'll welcome you in as a member. We aren't even connected enough to know each other in terms of the churches down the road. Yet in Jesus' day, if you get put out of the synagogue, you're cut off from everything. It means you're cut off from the social circles that connect and hold that society together, a community society. You're outside, which means you're cut off from the benefits. You're cut off from the support You're cut off from the honor of being part of the family. And you're on your own. So the family there, the parents are, are very worried about this. So they tell them, go ask the son. So the son is brought back. And this is the second time they've asked him. They say, give glory to God. Verse 25. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answers, whether he was a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is the famous quote that got into the hymn we just sang from Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. It was written by John Newton in the 18th century. It was on John Newton's epitaph on his gravestone. That he had this inscribed. Once an infidel and a libertine. A servant of slaves in Africa was. By the rich mercy of our Lord. And our Savior Jesus Christ. Preserved, restored, pardoned. And appointed to preach the faith. Once he had labored to destroy. Like the Apostle Paul. John Newton realized who he had been. Once blind once hindering and fighting against the Christian faith and trying to disprove it and mock those who believed in it, like C.S. Lewis, who did the same thing. His conversion was showing a difference. Now he preached the faith. Now he wrote that hymn, I once was blind, but now I see. And that's every Christian's testimony. Every one of us, in some way, have been blind in our life. From the moment we're born into this world, we're born blind. (coughs) But throughout our life, we realize there's things that we didn't see when we were young that we see as we get older. Things that we didn't know about God that we learn later on. Things we didn't understand about what God was doing. We were so confused that maybe we were even mad at God. Maybe we were like Job, spending all this time debating with God. Why? Why did this happen? How am I supposed to get past this? How could you let this happen? And God understands He can handle your complaints. What He can't handle is your silence, is your ignoring Him, is your pretending like everything's okay when things are not okay. And then He begins to show you. He begins to show you later on things that you couldn't see perhaps your whole life like a man born blind. See, many wrongly imagine that the Christian faith is a portrait of health, stability, and prominence. That the Christian church is supposed to be a picture of people that are healthy, people that are good looking, people that have a stable life and marriage and family. People that are prominent, people that do things for the world and the community, and they're honored by all. But then they join a church. And then we find out no, this is not how our lives work, it is not how it looks, and there's a lot of questions about why. The reaction of the world is to get rid of the unwanted to do genetic testing to the point that we can identify when these babies are going to have some kind of maldefect, are going to have the genetic disorder of Down syndrome, and then give parents the option of aborting their children because they're not going to have a happy and successful and fulfilling life that they wanted. Well God says that's a load of mud. because they're not seeing God. For Jesus, there are no unplanned pregnancies. There are no unwanted fetuses. There are no genetic anomalies that he does not have a plan to use for his glory. They said, how did this happen? And he answered them, now the third time, I told you already and you would not listen." The very religious leaders who are supposed to be the ones with the answers now are turning to this blind man who actually is a stronger, more truthful preacher than they will ever be and he says, do you want to also want to become his disciples? I imagine he is almost mocking them at this point point. and they mock him back and say, You are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. He says, what an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. And they cast him out. He's cast out of the synagogue, which means excommunicated from the religious community and the social privileges that go along with simply begging at the gate. But this beggar becomes a living sign for all of us. All of us were born beggars in sin. There is not one of us who can see on our own. And if we keep trying to see things without God's Holy Spirit intervening, we will never see what God wants us to see. If we imagine life with God is going to be a portrait of something pretty, something that is always figured out and has it all together, We will be disappointed or we will remain blind. Instead, as blind beggars, we become a portrait of a messy, muddy, dysfunctional, disabled group. That's what we are. And if we could only be so blessed as to have Jesus spit on us, to have him rub a messy, muddy sign in our eyes to send us to a place where we can wash. And there's a time when you just need the mud in your eyes because you're not seeing. You need that mud smeared over your face and be sent so you can wander for a while, so you can bump around in things not knowing where exactly you are, but with direction toward the pool. He's sending you. The word siloam means sent. He's sending you to the pool to wash. And this means for us, surrender, submission, and sending. We are sent as signs into the world. To the social classes, to the religious elites, to other churches, to other non-believers, And when we're searching for the answers, when you find people who are searching for the answers like Job, you point them to a story like this and say, if you think you see, God will make you blind. And when you realize you're blind, then God will teach you to see. Ask any parent, who has ever cared for a loved one with a disability. Maybe you have, or maybe someone you know has cared for a loved one with a disability or disease. I think this is one of the reasons I became a pastor. One of the ways I learned to appreciate helping those who are different was every summer when I was growing up, my parents would take care of my aunt who had Down syndrome. Now taking care of a child with Down syndrome is not an easy job. My grandparents needed a break because they were taking care of her every day. So for a month or two they'd get relief and my parents would take in Mary Beth. And I grew up those summers. I grew up those summers learning to play with Mary Beth. She was 40. I was 10. But I didn't know the difference. I just knew it was a friend to play football with. And even though my parents were dealing with a lot more difficult things during those months, it taught me to see what the world does not see. How Jesus cares about all kinds of people. Like a mom who says, I wish the world could really see my child and not just their disability And by the way, that mom's daughter was named Miracle. Amen.